Hey everybody. Hi internet. Or as Seth Erie would say, hi man, internet. Eminem. Eminem. He, he, it's so funny. Ever since um, he interrupted, uh, totally, it was awful. <laughs> Ever <laughs> since he interrupted, no, it was just incredible. He's been just walking up to the microphone saying, hi internet. Mm-hmm. And it's been it's been great. We need to capture that little bit of audio, and that's like our always our our intro instead oh, of me saying nice. hi, internet. It's just Seffy. Yeah, it's kind of how I got onto the show originally, just being in the yeah, room and then wanting to get on the microphone. And finally, right. you allowed me. Right, and now, and now, you're look at look at you're getting all the love, and <laughs> and I hope you listened to last week's episode, and and heard the hurt in my heart at all of the attention you're getting, and so. I'm keeping an eye on you, Andy, because it was initially, yeah, I'll show you how to do it. And then it was, well, here, let me produce it. And that now it's, let me take it over. Yeah. And, um, and, and there's all this sympathy from all these coffee drinkers and IPA lovers and hockey fans and people that wear weird jeans. And <laughs> that's just, I haven't uh, seen that crowd yet, but if you're out there, I'd love to know what pants you have on? No, no, yeah, no. <laughs> um, so we've got a great show because we had a truncated show for you uh, last time. Uh, we've got extra. Oh, get rid of my gum. Sorry. I wanted to have good internet breath. <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to do that. So uh, we've got an extra full show for you uh, today. So so I, I, I never had podcasted. I mean, all I knew about podcasting was like, you put sermons online from uh, the church, you know, and and but I didn't realize there were these there were these huge networks of of podcasters. Andy, um, you know, we we're talking about starting a podcast last fall. Andy says, "Well, here here's some here's some ones that really do it well. Bad Christian is one of them." And I laughed. I was like, "Hmm, that that should be interesting." Um, the liturgists is is one of them, mm-hmm. and the liturgists were formed by. A Mike and a Michael, mm-hmm. Michael Gungor from yep. the band. Yep, Gungor. Gungor. And then Mike, how do you say his last name? McCarg. 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 Yes. Which uh, is known better, uh, more widely known by the name Science Mike. Right. And he actually has his own uh, sub-podcast called Ask Science Mike that's hugely popular. Yeah. So these things are huge. I mean, they're huge podcasts. Right, over a hundred thousand subscribers. Oh yeah, uh, how many subscribers do we have? Over. Oh, I don't know subscribers. We I mean, have over a hundred. We over yeah, we over five hundred thousand subscribers. That's not true. <laughs> no, we're we're, that's just we're doing Seth good. Eerie. That's people, just that's just Seth Erie pressing play over and over yeah, and over pe- again. People, you guys seem to like our show. So well, thank well, you. Well. Either that or it really allows you to go to sleep quickly. Yeah. There's sympathy at plays. Night. There's sympathy plays. No, no, for me. it's 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 just it's eleven thirty and instead of putting something on the TV that's dumb, I'm <laughs> just gonna listen to Vox. Um so so it was a it was a uh, and Andy Andy's a bit of a fanboy, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Of of some of these big kind of podcast names, and so totally. so there was a random Twitter encounter. I'll thank Steve Carter up in Seattle. Stephen Carter. Stephen Carter. It's Stephen. It's not Steve. That's right. That's Steve Carter. That's Steve Carter's different. Yep. So this different is Stephen Carter. Yep. Who said he he responded to one of my tweets and said like Yeah, you should get Science Mike on your show. I said I'd love to have Mike on my show, and then Mike tweeted back, Let's do it. Right, and then and then boom, and then boom. So, so we've got an about an hour long interview with Science Mike, 
all and and shockingly it's about science but and mike will tell you and he's got a book coming out i read the book ahead of time and the book's coming out in september he will he will by his own acknowledgement say hey lots of people disagree with me on things particularly from um uh, a conservative christian perspective um and and you'll see he'll, we get into all kinds of things. Yeah, we got a whole buffet. We wanted we wanted science Mike all to ourselves. Like so, I, it was we were talking about uh, uh, transgenderism, uh, the gay gene, um, evolution, science and faith and Christianity. And, and our goal was just to let him talk. We, we this was not a this was not a debate, and he knows things that I, I've never looked at or heard of or studied. And so this was just more him hearing or us hearing kind of his thoughts on these different things on the basis of his research. And he's very, very, he's incredibly gracious. He's got this big, generous sort of orthodoxy um, that he's working with. And and so he's got a, a hugely compelling story that you can find online or when his book comes out. We didn't spend a lot of time on that. We spent some time establishing his nerd credentials, yep. which were very important. And then, uh, and, and and it's a huge deal for a guy in the podcast world who's like a huge, huge podcast guy to spend time with two guys he doesn't know. Yeah. And um, and so so I have christened myself Seismic Mike, uh, just to clarify myself from Science Mike, or or I liked Scenic Mike, uh, but my wife thought that was dumb. So so. You know, she thinks a lot of what I do is dumb, so I, that shouldn't have dissuaded me. But we're going to frame this conversation: Seismic Mike versus not versus not versus and 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 it's like Mike and Ike, but Science Mike, yeah, Science Mike and Seismic Mike just go toe to toe with. And, and I told Mike, I told the other Mike after that he didn't ask me any questions, and I was personally offended by that. Um, cause I, he's gotta be dying to know what I think. Um, isn't, doesn't everybody? Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, we're excited to have this huge kudos to this guy who's so generous with his time and, um, and really has some, some interesting things to say. So hope you enjoy it. Here you go. All right, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. At least it's good morning, morning in, uh, the head office, the home office, the world headquarters in Brea, California. You are in Florida, correct? I am. It's lunchtime. It's so weird. Why are you in... Why? Why are, Why in Florida, Mike? I really like mosquitoes and um, <laughs> humidity. So Yes. Yeah. Tell me you sweat. Tell me you sweat a lot and you love it. You love pit stains. You know, for a large fellow, uh, I'm not much of a sweater. I, then you're not a large fellow. I'm, I just I don't <laughs> sweat very much. No, no, that's not how it works, my man. If you're large, you sweat. If you're if you don't, you're not large. It's it's that simple. So you 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 can't add that to your resume. <laughs> you simply can't. Now, Mike, we've um we've been fans of the liturgist, and uh, and my my partner Andy here has got me uh, hooked on Ask Science, Mike, <laughs> and 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 we realize we're, we're very grateful that you take questions from from random people. Um, so I've got some questions for you that uh, I think a lot of people want to know that I have not heard you address. All right. So uh, gird your loins, be prepared. They are so girded. Um, first, <laughs> first question. Um, did your wife marry you for your voice or your looks? Because I don't know that I've heard as sexy a voice uh, in the podcast world. I'm kind of nasally. I don't like the way I sound, but you've got this good, deep sort of 
this thing going. You know what I mean? And uh, and does she ever compliment you on it? Um, in 15, almost 16 years of marriage, she's probably complimented my voice twice. Um, now, in what I setting? cheat. I totally cheat with my voice. I always keep the microphone up by my cheek, aimed mm. down at my mouth, so I get this great chest tone. So mm. I've got a, I do have a good voice, on, but I, I right. really work the mic to maximize I'm doing its it advantages. Right now. Um, <laughs> hold, hold on, I like I like that tip right now. I'm sounding, I'm science. It, it's not helping. It kills the uh, it kills the nasally tone because your your nasal tone projects down from your nose. So if the mic is up and pointing down, you miss all the nasal tone. So it's holy really, crap! You just science took, already. You just took <laughs> a question about the sexiness of your voice. And you and you made it beautiful, bro. <laughs> Would you rather pilot the Millennium Falcon Ooh. or captain the Starship Enterprise? Which Enterprise? Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 the fact that you asked that tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> if everything I need, if to it's know. the D or the E, I'm going with the Enterprise. Okay. If, if you're talking constitu- constitution class with like the, you know, the A, I'm going definitely going to go. No, no, I was actually going to say D. Kid you not, I was going to say D. Oh, I'll take the D. Yeah, for sure. Okay. That's a great show. All right. What, what, what's the Y though? Despec- There's the like Y. Like a dest- okay. detachable saucer section, capable of very yes. high warp drive. You're the yes. flagship of the Federation versus this it's kind true. of, you know, impressively yeah. fast, but kind of junky freighter. Yes. Uh, yeah, you got to go with the the press. Just the bridge and the captain's quarters alone on the Enterprise really right, puts like you in a different class than the Falcon. Although, although when I look in the mirror, I just see a junkie freighter. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm not. That's just me personally. All right, which which Battlestar Galactica was better? 1978, 79, or 2004 to 2009? I have never watched Battlestar Galactica. Strike never seen one. It. How old are you? May I ask that? Is that you can personal? ask that? I'm not real good at answering it. I okay, am excellent. 36, 37, or 38. One of those. Beautiful. Three. So you're old enough. Did you did you ever watch Buck Rogers? Very very in little. Twenty first yeah. century. Just a little. Huh? Just a little Buck Rogers. Yeah. Just a little Buck Rogers, but no Battlestar. No Battlestar. I mean, I was. What happened with Battlestar is, um, Battlestar kind of hit the scene in my like rock and roll days. And I was a little afraid Ooh. of my own nerd identity. So <laughs> I, and then by the time all my nerd friends were like, no, you don't understand this. It's amazing. I'd missed yeah. so much. It was too hard to catch up. And this was before okay. Netflix. And yep. if you were out, you were just out. So okay. I just kind of missed hey, out. That's fair enough. If it's, if it's a choice between rock and roll and Battlestar, you chose wisely. Flash Gordon, 1980, soundtrack by Queen. Have you seen it? Of course. That a boy? Would you would you agree? And it's a very leading question. Would you agree with me that it's one of the most underrated sci-fi classic movies ever? I didn't know it was underrated. I thought everyone understood <laughs> that it was a piece of art that was a national That's treasure. That's what I'm talking about. Man. See, I feel the same way about Running Man. Oh, the, is that uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and uh, Len Dawson? Yeah, yeah, that, oh, that's nice. a solid flick. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, greatest written work of science fiction in your lifetime? Whoa, that's right. Uh, Ringworld. Really? Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I like top three I movies. like the weird 
I tend to get really excited about geoscale or larger engineering in science fiction. And I yes. thought the scope of the ring and ring world combined with its construction being effectively quantum in nature was a really fascinating juxtaposition that inspired my imagination like few things ever have. Nice. Nice. I just like Lord of the Rings because it was Christian. That, that's that's just me. <laughs> well, I'd put that um, more in fantasy, too. That'd be less. Uh, oh, oh that's true. I, thank you for maintaining that boundary. Um, <laughs> top three movies of all time. Science fiction. We'll just narrow it down to science fiction movies. Go. Ooh. I know, bro. You weren't ready for this. I'm a nine. There's no so way I'm to like prepare Mr. for non-judgmentalism this. Non-judgmentalism on the Enneagram. So I just tend to like collect experiences. Okay. Um, you know, it's probably overrated. But I've got to say, few films have been as influential in how I view the world as The Matrix. Nice. Um, I like that. I agree with that. you got to put uh, Star Wars A New Hope up there. Oh, yeah. Just for its cultural impact alone. Never mind the oh, fact yeah. that it kind of pioneered uh, large-scale fictional universes uh, with detailed backstory in mainstream media. Um, and geothermic nuclear reactions. I don't know what that. And means. then number just, three, I'll probably go um, War Games with Matthew Broderick. Probably oh my an unexpected goodness. dark horse. Oh my but for goodness! For pioneering what sentience, consciousness, and the interplay of military might could mean in cinema. So I appreciate that film. Oh my goodness! These are so good. Um, and then one last one, and then and then we'll get to the funny stuff. Um, when when uh, when was the last time you watched one of the Star Wars prequels, if ever? I took my kids through the yep. Machete yep. Order. Um, yep. So we watched them in that, mainly to introduce the turn of Luke, I Am Your Father, and why that's important. Okay. And that's the last time I watched them. Uh, I'm really yep. proud my kids uh, like the original films more than the prequels, although uh, they, they do awesome. think episode three is a solid entry, which I agree yes. of the three, episode three is, is, is the strongest. Of course, we we watched uh, uh, um, The Force Awakens uh, opening weekend. Of so course. That, and that's why well, I was introducing the kids to Star Wars for that context. Other than that, I, I, I really try to pretend the prequels don't exist. Generally. Okay. All right. That's... You've checked everything off my list, bro. We can proceed with this interview. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, so uh, over the last couple of years, it's it's kind of been amazing um, for for you to have uh, a lot of our a lot of our listeners, of course, will know you. Um, some will not, and um, it, it's if you could give the two minute, which is impossible, story of uh, of of kind of there and back again. Um, what would you say kind of your journey's been the last uh, 10 years or so? I bet I bet I can do it in two minutes. Um, All right, we're, we're clocking right now. I grew up Southern Baptist and loved it as an adult uh, because of life circumstances, started to examine the Bible thoroughly, found more questions than answers, consulted the writings of skeptics in addition to apologists, lost my faith and became an atheist, uh, I was a secret atheist, so I pretended or masqueraded to be a Christian in my life. But on the internet, I had an alter ego who expressed my thoughts more freely. Mm. Uh, that happened for two years um, until I had a powerful 
unreal, mystical experience with God that made me doubt my doubt and be skeptical of my skepticism. That led me to search for the origin of this experience and a God that I could relate to and accept scientifically. I turned to cosmology, quantum physics, and neuroscience primarily for those things and came up with a scientifically pragmatic approach to the Christian faith for my own personal journey, not for anything else. In that process, I found other people um, had questions based solely on my experience. So I ended up going on You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes, where the kind of science Mm -hmm. mic name got coined publicly. And then a guy named Michael Gunger and I started something called The Liturgists, uh, which ultimately led to me starting Ask Science Mike and becoming this weird freelance, unqualified internet pastor <laughs> for people who are trying to make science and faith work together in their life. Isn't that funny? Now, why do you think um, th- this this conversational kind of niche has been so hungered for? Um, like, what are what are the bigger patterns between church and science that have gone on in our, our culture for the last 20, 30 years that have opened up this huge, um, uh, I, I guess, breadth and hunger for conversation around this topic? Well, first of right? all, I don't think it's just churches, because there's a lot of atheists, agnostics, skeptics, and non-religious folk who listen to Ask Science Mike, who participate, who come to events, and the same thing for the liturgists. So I've thought about this a lot, and I don't wonder if it doesn't come down to the degree to which in our culture, church maybe especially, but even our larger culture, we tend to shame people any time they don't fit cleanly into a group identity. Mm-hmm. And so the point of my show, this question and answer show, I don't actually think is that I provide good answers. It's that I graciously <laughs> accept and respond to literally any question, that you're never yeah. going to be shamed for curiosity. You're never going to be shamed for not fitting some preconceived notion of a label in on my show or at an event that I host. It's about people coming together authentically and vulnerably and frankly, in a rebellion against our shame-based culture. Hmm. And I think that's the heart of what's happening. So part of that, the, the, the turning point that made me discover that was certainly how many people of faith are ashamed when they question their faith because of science, or how many skeptical people face shame when they're curious about or even long for spiritual experiences. And what I simply did was say, hey, (laughs) I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I've had these experiences. And if you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk with you about it on your terms. You don't have to come believe a bunch of things that I'm proclaiming. Let's just have Mm -hmm. a conversation. And there seems, based on the number of people and how quickly it started following the show, that seems to have hit some need in our society. Oh, it's a massive need, and I and and that's what I that's what I find so interesting, is even the cultural backdrop, um, that, that that's been presented in my branch of evangelicalism has always been it's science versus faith, and and you're you're arguing no 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 actually, um, they they fit together, and science was one of the things that brought me back to faith. 
and I'm working out faith in scientific terms. And and that and it just seems to me so interesting um, because there there is particularly among maybe the under 35 crowd, uh, there's never been, uh, at least um, in the greater evangelical church, this widespread sort of top level acceptance of where science is headed. And instead, there's been this entrenching on certain readings of Genesis or certain views of intelligent design versus theistic evolution or whatever. And so it's just, it's fascinating that, that, um, that your story has coincided with this huge cultural ebb and flow and really allowed you to have kind of a massive platform that, you know, I doubt you would have imagined five years ago. I absolutely wouldn't have imagined it. <laughs> and it's, I'm an entrepreneur. I've spent a lot of my career in marketing and advertising. So believe me, the irony is not lost on me that the first thing <laughs> I've ever not had a plan or a business model for is the thing that mm -hmm. took off. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. That's how it works. But that, yeah. So so if it's all right with you, I'd love to I'd love to talk just a little bit about where you see science fitting into um, the Christian faith, where you see it fitting into the church. And I know these are very broad sweeping questions that I'm asking on purpose to be broad and sweeping so that you can kind of go wherever you'd like to with it. But what is the what is the permission that's needed uh, for people to embrace uh, where science is taking us and to not be afraid that they'll lose their faith in the meantime? Well, the, you know, historically, faith and science haven't been so at odds, right? Modern science is a relatively new thing in human history. And although there have certainly been points of contention, let's not forget that the historic church in many cases was maybe one of the primary sources of funding and support for the sciences that even Absolutely. today the Vatican has a respected observatory employing award-winning successful astronomers and astrophysicists. So there's not necessarily this inherent conflict. To me, the stage was set for what we're experiencing now and the birth of fundamentalist American Protestantism that was this reaction to the theological liberalism that tried to incorporate science in the late 1800s. And from that came a particular way of viewing the Bible as um, inerrant or authoritative on matters of modern science. And this was like a new idea historically. When, when you know, you say that the Bible is a science book, and I understand the reasons people say that, the thing you don't want to miss is that when the Bible was written, when the Bible was assembled, when the Bible was canonized, science didn't exist. There was no such thing as a, a method of knowing called science. There was no scientific method. Um, it's, it's really anachronistic to kind of take that label and that term and apply it to this beautiful uh, bit of ancient history and literature. We, and we don't do that anywhere else. We don't look for scientific ideas in the writings of uh, any other ancients. It's just something hmm. recently we've started to apply to the Bible. And so where I kind of land is you figure out what science is good at and you just let it do it. If you're trying to learn facts about the physical world, Science is better than anything else we know of, it, and it demonstrates that, right? Uh, if you want to put a robot on Mars, 
using rocket equations and methodologies and engineering techniques will get your nuclear-powered robot to Mars in a way that a prayer meeting or Bible study never will. Uh, and that's fine. So on matters of science, I let science be science. But science has limits by its own admission. That's all right. That's where I was going. So two questions. Is science neutral? And and I mean the scientific method. And, and then secondly, where are the limits for you? Science itself is neutral. Scientism as a philosophy is not. Boom. <laughs> I took a, uh, I have a master's in philosophy and we had a philosophy of science class. And we talked a lot about scientism as, uh, as opposed to science. And I couldn't agree with you more on that. That's a, that's a great answer. Because you don't, what, what, what degrees do you have? Do you have a degree in this stuff? Are you a... Oh, I have a huge set of qualifications. I went to community college for several weeks. Uh, Perfect. I, I, I have access to Wikipedia. And Google. And Google. No, I have no degrees. At oh, all. I love no it. No degree. I love I, it. Now, I you do know, read constantly, and well, I do work incredibly hard at accurately representing scientific ideas. Um, I and I want to, you know, I have this file that's honestly the biggest sort of, of self validation and pride that I have from credentialed scientists from major institutions who sent me letters or emails telling me I did a good job describing their field of study. Uh, nice. So I work really, really, really hard at yeah. accurately portraying science. And I, especially because there's so many atheists and skeptics in my audience, I don't want them to get thrown off because I flubbed the science on something. Right, right, right. Um, that's so good. Okay. That's, I mean, that's awesome. That's awesome. I just, I, I love that answer uh, in terms of scientism. So, so define those terms briefly, if you would science versus scientism. Science is a methodology for uncovering facts about the physical world. It's a, an approach where through experiment and observation, you record your results against a hypothesis to, to falsify it, to prove it true or false, or to increase or de decrease your confidence in it. That's all it is, and part of science as we understand it now also includes a nature of peer review so other people can search for biases or things you might have missed in your experiment or observation. It's a technique. Uh, scientism is, uh, goes beyond, say, a philosophy like empiricism. Empiricism is a philosophy that says, I'm going right. to place confidence in a belief in proportion to the evidence I have for that belief, which is pretty reasonable. Scientism takes it a bit further and makes the methodology of science a superior or exclusive means of That's learning right. about the world. Of knowledge. It's, it's, a, it's an epistemological approach, a, a way of That's understanding right. knowledge that says exactly. that science is really the only valid way to learn anything. And, and, and that is one of the things I love. Um, you have a book coming out in September, and um, you were gracious enough to send us an advanced copy. And one of the things that's so great about your story that, that uh, we'll wait until September to kind of you know read about, but I love it, is, is how... Um, you call yourself a mystic and that uh, th there are these things that have happened that that I simply cannot be known other than mystically and innately and intuitionally and uh, phenomenologically. And there was no, there's no kind of science behind that. There's just the experience, this undeniable experience. 
And so when you, how, how have you began to, or begun to articulate sort of where science begins and where particularly it ends? What are the limits of it? Uh, well, science has several limitations. Uh, one, uh, science can't tell you what to do with scientific findings. <laughs> science well can't speak to issues of the supernatural yep. uh, by its own admission. Yep. Uh, now, some people, scientists, People who are, would be into scientism would then say, well, the supernatural doesn't exist. Correct. Empiricists would say a bit more reasonably that I don't have a justification to accept supernatural claims. Um, and then science... Scientifically. Right. And the, Right, exactly. And then uh, it also can't make uh, aesthetic judgments, yep. uh, issues of beauty, and science can't address the morality of an issue. It can inform right. those it things. Can make value you judgment. can use the data to then justify through your moral philosophy, but in it of itself, science can't do those four things. Stated simply, what science does is tell us facts about the physical world. Right. If you're not trying to learn a fact about the physical world, science isn't an approach you should use. So, so here's what I hear you saying, and and not that you care, but I couldn't agree more, because there, there seems like there's two extremes always. On one, on the one side, there there are those that worship at the scientific altar. You know, the, it's if it, it the science, it's the scientism piece. There's there's no other way to really know something other than through um, scientific study. But then on the other extreme, you have this incredible skepticism, um, and I can't speak to any other side than the church side where I see it of of anything that's scientific. You know, science is. The thing that's eroded belief in God. Science is the thing that's um, eroded enchantment with the world and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I see you attempting to kind of walk in between those extremes. Is that a, is that a fair way to say it? That's totally fair. I love science. It, it's, it's my favorite. <laughs> I love all kinds of science. I love what we learn about the world. I love the way it increases my sense of awe and wonder and the majesty of this universe I exist in. I think science is beautiful. I think it's powerful. I think it is often used for some of the greatest gains and benefit to human life that we've ever seen. So right. I, I don't want to dismiss science. I don't want to be anti-science. I'm as pro-science as they come. I just also admit that there are parts of the human experience today and that just aren't addressed by science and probably and, and and shouldn't be and won't be addressed right. by science and that living exclusively in a scientific frame or reference um it doesn't open your eyes to all of life right that's beautiful and well said um one of the things i've, I've heard you talk about uh at least uh in in a couple of the Talks I've listened to is the is the fact that there are two conceptions of God. Um, we have all of these denominations, we have all of these classifications and labels, but ultimately they boil down to two different conceptions. Uh, could you go into that a little bit? Absolutely. This is based on the work of a guy who's one of my scientific heroes named Andrew Newberg, um, and he's a neuroscientist who pioneered a field of study called neurotheology, where you study not God or make ideas about God, but you study what beliefs about God do to human brains, which is something that mm. is a scientific mm. question, 
because right. now you're learning facts about physical reality. And in neurotheology, in his work, he discovered that there are two neurological images or concepts of God that people hold. The first one is a God who is primarily angry or wrathful or preoccupied with justice. And in people's brains, uh, when they focus on a God like that, you see, first of all, they get really excellent impulse control because if you think God <laughs> might smite you, it's easier right. to leave the cookie in the cookie jar. Right. But on the other hand, they tend to have elevated levels of stress, uh, stress hormones in their bloodstream. Their amygdala, which is the part of the brain responsible for fear and anger, is more active more often. It means they're more likely to get angry. They're more likely to fear outsiders. And it's going to be more difficult for them to forgive themselves or others for moral transgressions. Uh, a God like that really lines up pretty well with a God we see in parts of the Old Testament. Uh, and so we, we understand that maybe this God, this neurological picture of God, was one of the earlier ways that humans approached divinity, that God was out to get us and had to be appeased. Now, as, as we study other people, we find a second image of God, and this is a God of love. And when you believe in and you focus on and you pray to a God like that, it affects your brain in a completely different way. Instead of going up, your stress level goes down, your resting heart rate tends to decrease, uh, and you tend to see healthy activity that even enriches the amount of gray matter in the parts of the brain responsible for focus and concentration and also for empathy and compassion. Your brain actually becomes more biased towards love. You become mm -hmm. less, uh, it becomes easier to forgive other people and yourself. Uh, it becomes uh, where you are less likely to be fearful of outsiders and more accepting of other people. And this makes a lot of sense if you believe that God loves you, God loves the world, and God will work out all things for good. It means you no longer have to try to control every part of your life or in your environment. There's this idea of surrender that seems mm -hmm. to be very healthy for human brains. And when we talk about specifically Christianity, this is why people say, well, okay, you've had this mystical experience. What draws you to Jesus? Because Jesus, as this incarnation of God, represents a turning point, a shift away from a neurological God of anger and toward a neurological God of love. I say that Jesus invites us to neocortical thinking, which is the most <laughs> human type, the most neurologically sophisticated and helpful way that humans can use their brains. <laughs> I say that all the time too. I, I think uh, that that'll be the title that, of my that's, next. That's the core next value sermon. of our church, right, actually. Is right is... neocortical thinking? <laughs> um, is it is it possible? And uh, is it possible to hold both views uh, of God? At the same time. So the way we'd want to consider those, uh, I say there's two gods for the sake of simplicity in a 25-minute talk. Yeah. You could also speak of those as a spectrum. Got it. Because that's where I would imagine most of us, um, especially when, you know, as a young, I don't know what it was like for you in the, the church you were in, but you know, the the choice to follow Jesus is never presented in terms of love. It's always presented in terms of fear. Do you, you know? Do you want to go to hell? <laughs> and uh, and so that it seems like that's that's where you start with um, you know with uh, early in the faith with some of the Bible stories that are read and so on. You kind of go, oh my goodness, and then you 
grow into realizing, oh, well, that's not the definitive picture of God. Jesus is the definitive picture of God. So, so is so how how do you just scientifically speaking, how does one begin to journey from a view of God that is primarily angry to a view of God that's primarily one of love? In prayer, prayer is by far the most effective way to shape your brain's response to God. Hmm. Uh, so as you pray, you want to, in, you know, in your words, in your posture, in the images you hold in your mind, you want to focus on or thank God for, uh, you know, God's love for you, for your family, for your community, your church, your city, your state, your country, the planet. And you just want to have ever more expansive awareness of God's love. In fact, I've heard um, uh, from the Ignatian exercises based on, you know, the founder of the Jesuit order, uh, he would often encourage people to just imagine for a moment God looking on the earth with affection and God looking on you with affection before you begin your time of prayer to be aware that even though God is so great and powerful, God is thankful for this time to spend with you who God created. And when we've studied the effects of those types of prayer on people's brains, it turns out they're incredibly powerful. Hmm. That you start to rewire your brain in as little as six weeks in just 20 minutes a day with that kind of prayer, it will it will literally change the way when you think of God, your brain would show up on a brain scanner. Hmm. What about, uh, for at least the Christian tradition, what about like Bible meditation, Bible study, Bible reading? What's that do? I'm a huge fan of the Lexio Divina, mm-hmm. which is called the divine reading, where you take, you know, I used to read the Bible like I was studying for a test. Well, you, huh. re- you're, you're, you research. Yeah, right? I was you're, researching you're research. the Bible, and I'd always heard that it was this living word, and what I always did is I just tried to know enough verses to sound smart when I taught Sunday school. And, <laughs> um, and today my approach is completely different. When I sit down with the Bible, um, it's a time of reflection. It's a time to invite God to lead me. And so now I take much shorter passages of Scripture and read them with greater depth. So I'll read through a a, a passage of Scripture, and I'll just look for words or phrases that might stand out for me in that passage. And I'll Mm -hmm. sit and just stew on those for five or ten minutes. And then with those passages in time, I'll read that Scripture again. And this time I'll be looking for, in the context of those words and images God gave me, what God might be having me to know and what God might be calling me to do. And then I'll just sort of, in, in, in re- receiving, receive whatever insights God shares with me for that time. And then I'll read the scriptures a third time. And this time I'll really be focused on what God is calling me to do. What, what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? Who might God be calling me to lend uh, aid or compassion toward? And yeah. in that process... Again, brain scans have shown that's a really neurologically effective way to approach the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So, so you mentioned, um, I, I think you've said it, but I, I read it in the book and I, I, I thought it was really powerful. You said, most critiques of God tend to be about the effects of authoritarian systems built on the angry God model. Now that, we're, we're, we're doing several podcasts on the idea of spiritual abuse. 
And that sentence, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to have you unpack it a little bit because you look at some of the, um, there've been a couple of high profile churches that have flamed out recently that seem to be, have been built on that sort of, that sort of model. I'd love your, I'd love your uh, take on, or, or just willingness to unpack that sentence a little bit in that context. Authoritarianism is uh, an idea where the needs of an institution or its leaders become the primary focus of that organization. So that can happen in governments, that can happen in companies, that can happen in churches, and it's actually a relatively uh, natural human response to systems. But the problem is, in authoritarian systems, um, the needs of people tend to get crushed under the needs of the institution in the name of ideology. And it's not actually serving the ideology, it's serving the people who claim to hold it. Uh, now, I know this is getting, this is, this is nerdier than I intended already. Go, go, um, come on now. Effectively, if protecting the pastor's reputation is more important come than on. the spiritual health of the congregation, Someone's preaching. Now you have an authoritarian system, and I think this is where the criticism of the new atheists is valid and hits the church right. successfully. We've yeah. given them a valid critique by creating all these authoritarian churches where supporting the party line is more important than encountering God. Yes. And so I how, how does that connect to the angry God kind of model? The angry God encourages adherence to an authoritarian model. Come on. Because the pastor on. acts as a stand-in cognit neurocognitively oh, for my God. Goodness, dude. Um, Mike, hold on. Hold on. Can you call me seismic Mike from here on out? <laughs> just so just so we can differentiate ourselves or or scenic Mike. You got it. Because you just dropped you just dropped a load. That is awesome stuff, dude. Um uh I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It was just so good. I had to comment on it. Please continue. Sure. Well, no, my, my only point there is that um what the church should be about is um an anti authoritarianism. That we're in a race to see uh who can be the least of these, who can be um, the last, who can be the, the, greatest, the, the, servant the greatest servant of all. And right. when I've gone to churches, I go to a church now that has that model, and the mm. sense of health and peace and well-being present in a place that is phenomenal. What you find is instead of a place that comes in and like trains you to fit a certain mold uh, so that you can benefit an institution, what you find instead is people who are broken come to find healing. They come. Right. They come in. They, they actually encounter a, a Jesus who meets them, uh, who who lives out this good Samaritan parable. When you know he was asked the greatest of the the laws and all the Torah, well, who's my neighbor? And he tells this story. It's really important, and that's what happens when you subvert authoritarianism in a church and instead live out a modeling of what it's like to know a God of love neurologically. Mm-hmm. So how so you speak of something called spiritual uh, PTSD? Um, could you define that, and then let's talk about those who come out of those environments 
and how do they find healing? So let's just define the term first. Spiritual PTSD is uh, an ongoing um, psychological condition similar to PTSD that has been inflicted by an authority figure or group of people in a spiritual context. Mm-hmm. You know, we understand scientifically that our beliefs about God and our our place in a spiritual community becomes a core matter of our identity. And authoritarian church structures tend to use that to control and manipulate people instead mm-hmm. of help them grow. And spiritual PTSD is the response to that. So someone has been... Their identity has been so minimized for so long that they finally either rebel or break contact, and the cost is this scarring. Uh, And it means that spiritual discussions uh, will always be tiptoeing around a trauma that is stored in their brain. You know, when we get hurt, Mm -hmm. our brains hold that. We have a pattern of memories attached to increased responses in our emotional centers of our brain. And that means a conversation that seems calm can suddenly get very heated to that person because he gets too close to the way they've been traumatized. So the way they heal scientifically is, one, they find safe relationships, people who will accept them, love them, and affirm them exactly as they are with no expectation of change. And in the context of that relationship, that person starts to tell their story in a way that is always received with grace. And the more they do that, the it reconditions the toxicity and the pain out of those memories. It makes it so they can tell that story at first without crying anymore. And then at some point it becomes less of a, a wound and more of a scar. Uh, and then that scar fades over time without ever completely going away. But mm-hmm. once they've been in this community where they've been accepted, and this may not even be a church community, but for really severe uh, spiritual PTSD, even a gracious church might be too much too soon. So it might be just a good friend. It might be uh, someone you know who's a Christian, but you know it's just a person that's not going to judge you. So once you receive that affirmation and start that process of healing, now you can possibly look forward to the kind of church that will be healthy. And I, I define a, a safe, healthy church as being this for a person. One, it's a place that can accept, affirm, and love them exactly as they are. But two can help challenge them and support them as they grow into who God is making them to be. And there's not necessarily a lot of preconceptions about what that looks like, in my opinion. That's Mm. using the relationships and approaches modeled in Scripture, especially the New Testament, to support people. It's less of trimming back a tree as providing a lattice for a vine to grow on. Got it. Hmm. I like that. What um, you know, one of the one of the really difficult and traumatic topics that that is you know um, being discussed in our culture. Besides uh, gay marriage, we've got the the whole restroom wars now, the bathroom wars, and the and how do we love and honor the transgendered community, and and so on and so on and so on. How much how much s- study have you done um, around the science behind conversations? around homosexuality versus heterosexuality or or transgenderism or, or any of those things? Uh, I've done a lot so that I'm familiar. There's so many people who are true experts. I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert, uh, but I have done probably more reading than the average bear. 
<laughs> I think we can guarantee that. <laughs> um, what, what, what have been a couple of things that have surprised you uh, in, in that field of study? Not, you know, we're not looking for expert. I'm, I'm more looking so for... So are you asking about the nature of the conversations themselves? Yes. Or, uh, or, 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 or what, you've, what you've discovered as you've done research? Uh, Either one. Scientifically speaking, my long-held assumptions about gender are pretty unfounded. Is, is mm. what I found. Um, there, there's just a good scientific case. Number one, that um, you know, there's not there's not two genetic identities. There's not two genetic states um, at all. Uh, there's multiple genetic combinations. Uh, you can have XXY. You can have you know what I mean. There's like six major ones. Okay. Uh, not only that, you can have people who are um, have two X chromosomes, but end up having male features or the opposite um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. based on, because, you know, what we understand is, is gender is complicated. It's developmentally complex and it requires this orchestration of genetics and development and environment to push an organism down one of two primary paths. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with that in mind, so let's just, uh, cut out some of those ambiguity there's you know a significant number of babies who are born who are considered intersexed and intersexed babies mm-hmm. are biologically ambiguous in some way mm-hmm. um and when we look at the animal kingdom gender fluidity is is relatively common so we have this human idea this construct if you will about two binary genders which by the way are comfortable for an overwhelming majority of society i have always easily and naturally identified as a male it's never been a source of confusion for me and so it you know has been historically difficult for me to understand someone who says that it's a struggle for them but when i Mm -hmm. look at the science you know even as simple as as let's get rid of the genetic ambiguity let's get rid of intersexed people and we understand today that simply looking at brain scans uh, trans men and trans women, there's a high correlation between people who make those claims and whose brain scans and brain structures tend to mirror the 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 gender they identify with. So they have this hmm. kind of scientific huh. case uh, that yeah, so, there is some. I, I hate to use this language, but for for people who are, are struggling through this, this will be more helpful. There's this mismatch between their body and their brain. Mm-hmm. So this is an incredibly complex issue, and I don't want to uh, minimize people who hold up uh, traditional gender roles. I don't want them to feel you know, under attack by me or something like that. I'm saying in my own personal journey, and as I've read on this issue, I have found that scientifically speaking, gender ambiguity is far more common than I ever believed. Hmm. Because I've heard the, I've heard the number. It's like point zero three or point three of the population, or, or something like that. And and, and it's, it's one of those issues that is so, um, as you're saying, it's so easy to simplify. Um, and so I was just curious. I was just curious what you found. Well, I mean, like uh, I one know. in a thousand babies is intersex somewhere in there. Uh, and that's just so, intersex. So that's intersex, not trans or anything like that. Okay, intersex. Define that for me. I think I know what that means. A baby I, who I is born 
in such a way that a medical professional cannot make a definitive uh, conclusion about whether they are male or female. Wow. One in a thousand. Yeah. It's, yeah. And that's, again, intersex to me is a little different even than trans. Um, but in, inter, that's intersex alone is one in a thousand. So you might have hmm. someone who. Uh, now, will they develop? Will they develop one or the other? Not necessarily. Or okay. sometimes doctors make a decision to intervene right then. They make the wrong decision. Mm. And, you know, they. they worked on someone's uh, genitals to match one gender, and when they hit puberty, they start to look like the other one. Mm. Um, and th this happens. You, you Think about the size of the American population, right? right. you got more than 300 million people. One in a 1,000 babies is a lot of babies. Hmm. Yeah, that's a big number. Yeah, holy cow. What about, uh, what about the, the classic discussions around the gay gene uh is homosexuality uh, and again that term is 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 almost worthless but is is this uh nature nurture does it even matter what have you what have gender you and orientation are distinct concepts first of all which okay, is good. something as i've researched this when i even first started to talk about this issue publicly i hadn't fully worked out hmm. um but so gender and identity are two different things. There's a very, very, very strong case scientifically that two binary genders is a, an oversimplified model to describe the biological reality. Uh, when you start talking about orientation, you appear to have um, a mixture of nature and nurture involved. Um, but the, it's not as... Um, I think you can make a pretty slam dunk case about gender scientifically and that male and female are just two oversimplified ideas. Um, if we look at the animal kingdom, there's no such thing as orientation. It doesn't exist. So in the animal kingdom, animals are born with what? They're born with these desires, to these impulses, and one of those is to seek genital stimulation for sexual animals. And then based on how their environment shapes, that affects how they try to get their genitals stimulated. Uh, and then we provide all this fancy sociological language on top of that. But that appears relatively similar to what happens in human beings. Um, so you, you would see, um, I think you can make a decent case that some men and women are born with a much higher natural propensity towards same-sex attraction. Uh, but I think you also make an argument that most people could be conditioned one way or another based on how flexible human brains are. And not saying that's healthy. I'm just, I'm just speaking to what is. Right, right. And, and by the that... way, we have seen that like, you know, trying to uh, recondition someone who experiences same-sex attraction through d various programs tends to be disastrous for mental health and also tends mm. to not be very effective over time. Hmm. But I mean, I, we're hitting all the very safe topics. So <laughs> appreciate you. Appreciate the you stepping out. The bad thing about having me on a show is I will literally give you my opinion on any topic you ask no, about. I, no, <laughs> bro, we love it, and I love that you're just doing it with two random guys in California. <laughs> it's fantastic. We're just going to take sound bites, and we're starting a, a website called ScienceMikesTheHeretic dot com. It'll be it'll be. I fantastic. think that's we'll taken already. So you might have to do dot biz. <laughs> I don't know. 
Now, as you've as you've stepped into these uh, controversial places, I would love you to comment on the nature and tone of the conversations you find yourself in, and the dialectic between the unbelieving skeptical community, the fundamentalist sort of uh, Christian community, and then the whole the just the whole host of people kind of finding their way in the middle. You would be stunned with the overwhelmingly gracious and kind response I get from everyone who participates in my work in some way. Hmm. Across that continuum, uh, the atheists and skeptics who listen to me are very gracious when they, you know, when they think I've missed a fact scientifically or whatever, they send me an email. They thank me for my work. They cite the evidence for why they think I got it wrong, and they're just so kind and so gracious you wouldn't believe it. And the same thing is true for progressive Christians and conservative evangelicals and Catholics and all the different kinds of believers that listen to my show. The people who reach out to me and contact me tend to be very gracious. Hmm. Uh, occasionally, I'll, I'll get some kind of little firestorm that kicks off where um, that's not the norm. And the way I kind of approach that is when people's intent is to help me learn and their intent is to continue a, a, an honest conversation, I listen, I reflect, I try to learn from that. When people's intent is to mock or to hurt or to just watch the world burn, that's why the internet has block buttons. Um, so I'm not afraid to curate my experiences. I know who my work is for. And if you're like really comfortable in how you see the world, if you're just as confident a Christian or as confident an atheist that exists, my work may not be for you. But if you're in a state in your life where you're searching, you're trying to figure things out, or you're certain with what you believe, but frustrated with the way people tend to fight when they are certain, that's mm. the audience I'm trying to address. And by being crystal clear about who God is calling me to talk to and who God is calling me to spend time with, I think I avoid some of the vitriol common to these kinds of discussions. No, that's good. Um, one last question, if uh, if you've got a few more moments. Sure. Um, you cannot bring up uh, science and faith without talking about evolution. And I'm, I think I've heard you say you are a theistic evolutionist. Correct. Um, can you can you define that? And then for, for people who read um, Genesis 1 as literal six days and um, and they take that as 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 science or containing science, um, would you summarize, because I think, uh, would you summarize some of the distinctions within the evolutionary conversation and some of the evidence you would point to? <laughs> in, in 30 seconds. <laughs> How about we describe the five major views on Genesis and then see where we need to go from there. Would that work? All right, I like it. Okay, so here's... That's what I, that's what I said. Here's, here's kind of <laughs> okay, how people view Genesis 1. Uh, number one, old earth... Excuse me. Number one is young earth creationists. Those are people who believe that Genesis is pretty much a literal account of creation and that the universe was created in six 24-hour days and God 
like made Adam and Eve with his hands out of the dirt and breathed. Well, made Adam out of the dirt and breathed the breath of life into him and then made Eve from his rib, right? A literal reading of Genesis 1 and 2. Second is old earth creationists. These are people who also think Genesis is literal, uh, but that the word translated day is the Hebrew word yom, and that yom can also be translated to mean era, or that these days are basically metaphors. Uh, and these people would point to the scientific evidence that the universe is very old and say it's you can hold on to a literal Genesis and accept an ancient universe, that that's not in conflict with Scripture. That's view two. View number three is something called evolutionary creationism, and that's very similar to old earth creationism, but adds the idea that some parts of Genesis are metaphorical. And so when we look at the fossil record and we see you know, something that looks like evolution occurred, they say evolution did occur. It's how God formed humanity from the dust. So they think that uh, Genesis is a mixture of literal and poetic mm. language and that yep. there were two people, one named Adam, one named Eve, who were God's first two organisms created in God's image. And that's, okay. that's a view that you would see advocated by an organization called BioLogos, that I'm a big fan of. Okay. Theistic evolution is a step past evolutionary creationism saying that, listen, the way science describes evolution on this planet is right. And not only that, Adam and Eve probably weren't real people. They're metaphorical stand-ins for how humanity relates to God. And the fall of man, therefore, wasn't a literal event, but is a way of speaking about the conflicts we have within us between serving ourselves and doing wrong or serving others and doing right. And that's theistic evolution. The fifth view is called naturalistic evolution. And that says God didn't have anything to do with this. And Genesis was just written by some guys in the desert 3,500 years ago. <laughs> and, and the point of my work uh, when I talk about evolution is to try to encourage all Christians to continue consider the first four views as permissible mm. inside the church. If nice. you are a six-day creationist, great. I honor and affirm you. I think that based on the way you read scripture, that's totally reasonable. I think that I get it. I've been there. I understand it. And all I would say is understand that your children or your grandchildren are very likely to accept the theory of evolution. And if you ask them to pick, they'll probably pick atheism. They'll probably pick leaving the church if you make it a, a deal if you breaker. make it a deal breaker so why not yep. why not call evolution an inessential point of doctrine because the point the exciting thing about genesis to me is it reveals a god who creates with action with thought instead of with violence a god who says this is a world that is good that i love it and that i'm involved in an yep. ongoing basis with and that's what so i've different created from the other other ancient Near Eastern creation stories totally. of its day. Totally. So yeah. I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time trying to convince people evolution happened. If they want, yeah. there's so much evidence out there already. Uh, it would it would be an hour podcast on its own. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm trying <laughs> to say is, <laughs> let's acknowledge, let's acknowledge that you can believe in evolution, and you can be a follower of God. That you can love Jesus. That you can be a Christian. And believe in evolution. And by the way, that goes two ways. For the people like me 
who believe in evolution, we have a responsibility to not look down our noses at people who hold the Bible in such a way that they can't accept evolution. Um, I'm never going to, uh, you know, throw quips at someone like that as unintelligent or unsophisticated. Uh, I understand where those beliefs come from, and I honor it. What I'm calling for is let's look at what Jesus said is important about our faith, and it's not the creation story. Hmm. What are the What are some of the biggest uh, areas of pushback you get with this whole approach? I don't get any. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, um, I approach people with humility. I fully know I'm wrong about things. I know my knowledge is limited. I know I could be wrong. So I invite people to help me figure out when I'm wrong. That's the only way I do. So I don't get um, that kind of pushback. I, I, I got to try that. <laughs> I, I got to try that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, my man. This is so good. Andy, do you have anything you want to ask? You've been awfully quiet over there. Oh, I know. I'm just enjoying my fly on the wall experience. I feel like I'm <laughs> listening to one of Mike's shows, and I'm just in the room. One of what, <laughs> you mean Seismic Mike? Uh, seismic no, Mike. No, because I do that every week. Ask like, Seismic Mike. Yeah, yeah, no. Could, yeah, I just I like the way that sounds with your sweet voice. Could you say it again? Ask Seismic Mike. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. I'll give you some plate tectonics. I do want to do one other thing. We mentioned the book in September. It's called Finding God in the Waves. It comes out September 13th. And if you'd like to learn more about it, you can go to findinggodinthewaves.com. And and, uh, I want to say I've read it, and it is excellent. And there is the first part of uh, the book is... And we didn't touch on it, at least I didn't want to on purpose, because it's such a powerful story uh, of a journey from believing to atheism to a different kind of believing, um, that 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 section alone is uh, is incredibly powerful. And then um, and then in the rest of the book, um, you just build kind of the pieces back with these sort of axioms that are hilarious. (laughs) And um, I love it. So, um, so we can check uh, Mike out on Twitter, on Facebook, the Liturgist podcast, the Ask Science Mike podcast, the book coming out in September. Andy, anything else? Uh, yeah, Mike, I, I just want to say one last thing. Um, yeah, so I, I'm in my, my early 30s, and I, I kind of realized this driving up this morning as we were coming into this show. Like, I listen to a lot of other shows where a lot of kind of uh, progressive church thinking is coming out of hyper-conservative, like very authoritative type of organizations. And growing up on the West Coast, I feel like I grew up in some of that. But moreover, my whole church experience has, I think, collectively just been very confusing because I kind of get both sides and I feel like I've just been kind of drifting through the waters of of what church is supposed to look like, what I see, what I experience is good. Um, and I think for other folks that are out there like me that have experienced that, uh, listening to you as a guest on other shows, listening to your show, um, I think you've always done a very good job of helping to bring a lot of healthy articulation to, to making more sense of that. I think for my own personal view on those organizations, uh, socially speaking, in addition to scientific thinking, um, and, you know, yeah, I just want to say, you know, thank you for doing a good job in that. And, you know, I've been very responsive to that. That's incredibly and the kind. Next time, 
And the next time you're looking for for guests, I mean, Rob Bell is so overdone. Um, you know, I mean, you got to get some fresh. You got to get some fresh perspectives. Just say to yourself, "Ask Seismic Mike." Right on. I love it. And and we can talk about you know because I know stuff. I know stuff <laughs> about buffets and um, and caloric intake. Uh, but brother, we are so grateful that you would take time to hang out with a with a couple of twerps uh, in the in the middle of the day. I spent a and, lot of fun. I know Thank in Florida, you. I know in Florida, there's so much to do. You've got shuffleboard and probably bingo and uh, some 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 older people you can meet at Denny's at four o'clock. You can go outside and get bit by biting flies. It's really good. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love those. Um, so anyway, man, we, we are very appreciative. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, sports fans. How's some science for you right now? Wherever you are, you got a big dose. We didn't even, we didn't even get, uh, get into the like neocortextual cranial amygdala, amygdala stuff. Yeah. Cortex. Right. We didn't even get into all that. Mm-hmm. Um, medulla oblongata. Yes. Yes. Um, spinal tap, spinal tap, that for sure. Yeah. So, so I love that you asked about the enterprise. I love it. The minute he said that I knew, I knew he was totally legit. Which one, <laughs> which one that was incredible. So you can see why, um, loads of people are, uh, are tuning into this guy. Um, he's very open to questions, very open to, uh, kind of going wherever, um, God and science take him. Um, and so we're super grateful uh, that he would spend time with us. But we also realize that that uh, some of what he said isn't universally accepted. And so, you know, like everything, I mean, test and see. If you're skeptics, um, he's giving you some stuff to think about. If you're conservative uh, Jesus followers, he's giving you some stuff to think about. Um, and and that's, that's what we want to do at Vox. Our, our kind of tagline for Vox is talk about anything. And so... Um, we want to continually model that openness to conversation um, and willingness to dialogue with uh, with different p- people from different points of view around all sorts of incredibly difficult and hard cultural topics. Um, thank you for those of you who are, are subscribing on iTunes. That is a huge gift. And who are leaving reviews. Thank you so much for that. That is a, a great gift because that that places us in kind of the iTunes radar so that people who don't know of us might stumble uh, across the podcast. Secondly, we're always so grateful for um, feedback on Twitter, on uh, Facebook. We get a ton into our website at uh, at, at subversivekingdom.com, which is going to go away here shortly. Um, we don't know to what yet. And then uh, we've got voxoc.com, which means we're launching a church, and that's really happening. And Yeah, it's real. It's real. Got, it's it's on. Yeah, things got real the past couple of weeks. Things got yes. That's why we're <laughs> podcasts are so late because we've been. This is the first time we'll actually be on time. Yeah. In, in in like a month. Yeah, that's true. So we're actually we're actually a couple of days ahead right now. Um. So anything, Andy, you want to add? No, I had a good time today. Yeah, you did. You could tell, uh, Andy. Andy's silence uh, indicated his enjoyment. Whereas usually when Andy's talking, when he's talking with me, indicates that um, the show's boring and he's waiting to take it over. <laughs> and so we all know if, if I, listen, if I die in the next month or two, suspiciously, 
and all of a sudden Andy's kind of taking it over, you'll know. You will know what happened. It is a plot. It is a plot. It is a hipster plot. Um, all of a sudden I'll find my... The world my, of hipsters versus Mike Erie. All of a sudden I'll, I'll find my Chemex. I'll find a Chemex kind of with a lopped if off there's head. A broken, yeah, if there's a broken Chemex near your body. Yes, then we'll know. Then we'll know. So, um, so men and women, uh, brothers and sisters... Um, we are so grateful to, uh, to be able to do this. So grateful that you, um, tune in and listen. And, uh, we're very grateful that God allows us to, um, spend a bit of time with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. So it feels like I, I, I should have saved the Star Trek benediction for this one. Um, so I've just got to go atheist trigger warning. I'm just going to go with the number six. Number six blessing, just just to go back to old faithful. So trigger warning, atheist, you can turn off now. Um, but may the Lord bless you wherever you are. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace wherever you are. Amen and amen. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.